There's a time and a place for black and white, like when you're learning to play piano, or when you want a big two-toned cookie, or when shopping for a pet zebra. But if you want to attract customers, there's no room for black and white, so go to Staples. Staples specializes in bold, hard-to-miss color printing. And now at Staples, get 20% back in rewards on color printing, from banners to brochures and copies to presentations. Print more color, save more money at Staples. In-store only. Ends 11 10, 18. Restrictions apply. See store associate or staples.com slash 20 back for details. You're listening to Turf Show Radio. With the first pick in the 2016 NFL Draft, the Los Angeles Rams select Jared Goff, quarterback, California. Give it to Gurley. Gurley extending to the goal line. Touchdown. Todd Gurley. That puts him at 1,000 yards on the button in his rookie season. And now, here's your host. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Showtime's radio. This is your boy, Josh, coming at you live, along with my co-host, Mr. Meissen, a DSR. Meissen, how you doing today? Man, I'm hot as hell. It's so damn hot. <laughs> I just left the gym. I'm hot. And my, my AC stopped working last night, so my house is hot. <laughs> it's uh, weird. It's supposed to be hot right now in Bakersfield, but we've been we've been having these weird cold snaps that have come through, and right now we're having one such cold snap, and um, it's it's weird because even even the cold wind that's blowing is kind of warm. Like there's there's times when you're walking around and you're actually like the the wind blows on you and you're like, damn, it's kind of warm. And then all of a sudden you walk through a shaded area and that same gust of wind comes along and you're like, shit, never mind. It's kind of cold. Man, it it was like super, super, super windy out today, but it was like hot. (laughs) So it was blowing like hot wind everywhere. (laughs) It was torture. We uh, we got a decent show uh, today, despite the fact that we have no guests this week. Um, We've got quite a bit I think we can cover. Um, there's been some reports or non-reports, depending on your point of view. Uh, certainly Rams fans have myriad opinions, as evidenced by the uh, the comments in my timeline. Uh, some people love Jason Cole, other people do not. Uh, I hold no opinion of, of Mr. Cole. I assume he's a diligent reporter and does his job to the best of his ability, and... I know people mock the phrase sources say, but sometimes that's what you have to go with so your ass doesn't get in trouble. Because the more direct you are with the information you give out, the easier it is for them to trace it back to the leak. Yeah. And no, no, I, ha- having done this, 
having done this, I, I'm telling you, having done this and and having dealt with a program that hated the fact that I was doing it, like I legit, I legit have stories that I cannot tell on air. Scott knows them. Like, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, if people do not want things out or if 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 organizations would prefer reports not surface for one reason or another, there is a reason. I'm not excusing Cole. I'm not I'm not even offering up. I am just saying I know how being tied to sources when I want to say, look, dude. I got my information directly from a guy who uh, uh, is directly from a guy who talks to one of the biggest boosters on the Fresno State. Like he he sits on all the panels. He helps select all the coaches. And this guy talks to him on a regular basis. Like that's what I want to say, you know, but you can't do that. You can't give that kind of it. You have to go with sources say. And people are like, well, how good are your sources? And I'm like, look, you can opt to trust me or not, but I've swung a thousand percent. And that's because the information that I'm getting is coming directly from the damn school itself. They just don't realize it. And they hated that, man. Oh, God, did they hate it. So I'm telling you, sometimes there's a necessity to sources say, I'm not saying this report is one of those times. This report seems yeah, yeah. enough. It, it doesn't seem like something that either the Rams uh, or uh, or artists or Les Snead or, or any of the people involved would give a crap about. I mean, it says that one quarterback could replace another if he's doing bad. It, when you break it down, that's basically what it says. A more experienced quarterback could potentially place a rookie or a a sophomore quarterback that had the worst rookie campaign in NFL history. That's that's the interesting thing about that's the interesting thing about it. While uh, Mayan has been in the league longer, he's not more experienced than golf. Golf is actually more experienced than him. Yeah, golf has more starts. That's true. And 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 I, I think what people mean is that he's been around with the Rams organization longer, understands exactly what the goals are, and or may just have the competence to understand NFL systems. And let's not forget that Sean Mannion's played in a West Coast offense before. So, uh, But but it's like... I feel I like I get what you're saying, but it's I'm like I'm not saying that this is going to happen. No, 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 no. I know you're not. I'm talking. No, I'm, I'm just like I get what you're saying. Like when you describe it, like why that's the belief. But like me, I look at it. And I say, well, they're both learning new offenses. You know, yeah, it is. Yeah. It's, it's it's not like uh, it's not well, like Sean Minion. It's not like Sean Minion is well. It's not like Sean Minion ever got well versed in previous offenses because he spent you know, so much time as the number. He spent. He spent he spent so much time in the number in the number three role. Like number three quarterbacks don't get a lot of reps and they don't get the opportunity to to actually learn that because they actually are running the scout team and working those reps, you know, doing stuff like that. And sometimes they're not even doing that, you know. So it's like it's like um uh, out there and and he works with the quarterbacks on 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 a routine. Yeah, in endo, in endo. You know, but not like in team drills and stuff where you actually get the reps and learn the plays and things like that and get timing down and, you know, grasp the it. Scout, like- the scout team still goes through that same crap. Granted, they go through other things. But I think in many ways, people 
people underestimate the value of scout team because scout team players have to be flexible to a certain extent because you are for all intents and purposes basically playing the role of the other team leading up to the week of the game. It's your job to mimic as best of your ability what the other team is going to do and to run those plays defensively and offensively as if you were the first team offense of 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 the other team. And and at a certain point you you are learning things at a little bit more of a little bit quicker rate because you're having to even if it is only for a week put on the facade of this offense or that offense and you're a smart guy is gonna pick things up from these drills you would hope as you go through these things on a weekend week out basis especially if you're a scout team guy or a third stringer who's going to be spending a lot of time in the film room because you're trying to improve your lot in life. And that's the type of guy Sean Mannion is. All reports basically support that. He's he's a film room warrior. He wants to be... I'm sure he thinks of himself as more than just a third string quarterback. Nobody really yeah. thinks of themselves as a backup. And if you do, you yeah. probably deserve to be a backup. So No, I mean, I'm not, I'm not discrediting Sean Mannion at all. What I'm saying is... It, you can't look at it as a just kind of that black and white to the point to where it's like, oh, you know, he's the more experienced quarterback because he's been in the league sure. longer. Because in all honesty, the quarterback who if you, if golf has not just more starts, he's thrown the ball more, you know, like he's actually dropped back and thrown the ball. Like Sean Minion only has about 21 throws for his career, I think, you know, so it's and then you have golf who has over 200. You see what I'm saying? So it's like golf actually has the has more experience now. As far as as far as if you're talking about uh, tenure, you know, obviously Sean Mean has an extra year on under his belt. But I would look at it. And I would say rather than looking at the years, I would look at the age. Um, you know, Sean Mean is. 24, 25 years old now, and that's the that's usually when things start to click for quarterbacks. You know, your brain starts to get it. <laughs> you know, it, it becomes a little easier to process uh, around that age. So, if anything, that would probably be one thing that you know that you could that has that he's working in his favor. But again, they're both learning a new offense. You know, so that's why I would say for Sean Mayan to be thrown in there, I really don't see any way to uh, justify it unless you're seeing the exact same thing you saw from golf last year. If you're seeing the exact same thing you saw from golf last year and it's, you know, five, six, six games in, you know, six games in, you're, you're not seeing any improvement from what you saw last year, then you're probably – game seven is like that make or break like golf. Either get your get your act together, <laughs> start start uh, completing some throws and winning some games, or we're going to throw a million in there. And that, I think that's kind of how you look at it, especially with the, the bye week being after week eight. Um being in the middle of the season like that, the, 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 that'd be like the perfect time where if you were going to make a quarterback s- switch, it's like you got you give him half a season, see what he got. If it's complete trash, you know, if, he, if there's no improvement from, from um, the year before, then you're like, OK, this is the time to make that switch. Otherwise, I don't really think that is going to happen. You know, he, I think he has to bomb equally as bad as he bombed as a rookie to uh for Sean Mayan to be thrown in there, and I'm not sold that he's I'm not sold that he's not going to improve. So, 
I'm not I'm not so that he's not going to improve, but Mike Riley's pat like Mike Riley's offense is is similar to the West Coast offense. Um but it might be you know maybe more closer to a vertical passing game. I'm a quick three steps drops, a uh, few hots in there. Uh, but at the end of the day, you're right. I mean, this is McVay's offense, and even though it is under a West Coast offense scheme, every coach, that's just an umbrella. You know what I'm saying? Every coach has their own nuances and their own particularities that go with these systems. Um, and, And while a lot of the basics are the same, it's the nuances that make the system go. So it's the nuances that are important. And here's where everybody's on equal footing, Goff and Mannion. They're both going to have to learn the nuances that Riley puts out um, at about the same time. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see how that works. Uh, what we do know is that the Rams did go out of their way as best they can to, to load up on offensive weapons. And I am curious as to who you think is going to have an impact year when when you look oh, at man. it. You know, it's so funny you asked this question because I've been thinking about this a lot and I'm actually going to whip up a series on this covering player to player. Um, I've been kind of getting it in the works already, um, doing a lot of research and covering up some certain topics and facts and things like that. So it's really interesting that you ask that because it's something I've been thinking about a lot. There's the, the odd thing about it is... And the answer has to be Jared Goff um, because Jared Goff, with the focus being on Jared Goff, Jared Goff is kind of going to be like the engine to the offense. The success of everyone else, everyone, including Todd Gurley, relies on Jared Goff. <laughs> you know, it's 100 percent all, all like they they're, they're 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 doing everything that you want. You know, and I mentioned this uh, last week how you look at the Eagles and what they're doing with Carson Wentz. Um, you know, you look at the coaching staff where it all starts. The, the, the minds they put around him are offensive-minded. They got a lot of – I think there's three ex-quarterbacks and quarterback coaches um, on the roster, on the, roster uh, uh, on the coaching staff. Then there's a bunch of, uh, you know, former offensive coordinators. It's just so many offensive minds and really well-respected offensive minds from around the league – all on that staff. And then they go out and they say, okay, we put the right coaches around him last year. We saw him taking some steps forward. Now we need to put more weapons around him. So what did they do? They went out, they got Alshon Jeffrey, Torrey Smith, and, you know, they drafted two receivers. They just signed LeGlaret Blunt. They went and got Donnell Pumphrey in the draft. You know, their focus is building around their quarterback. That's the way you do it. And as I mentioned last week, the success rate of teams that do this no matter how good your quarterback or how not good he is or when he, whether he was drafted in the first round or the sixth round, when you focus on your quarterback like that and you build around him, he becomes the center of your organization. Though the success rate of those teams go through the roof. So, <laughs> so when I look at what they're doing with golf, they're doing it the right way. You know, they really are. Um, it's, it sucks that, that he didn't have this luxury as a rookie. Because now he's kind of behind the eight ball a bit, you know. Um, but he, it's happening, and that's all that really matters. He's getting the help that he needs. The question now becomes, will he take advantage of it? 
you know, is golf going to be go out there and he's going to is he going to show uh, show ex, uh, some extreme improvement and take a very, very big step forward? That's where it all that's where the question all comes down to. If golf takes a big step forward, the offense goes. If he doesn't, <laughs> it takes is that because they put all their eggs into one basket, essentially, you know. So it's like you if, if there's going to be a player that stands out and really, really takes off, it has to be golf. Interesting. Uh, but what about the receivers? Because that's where I'm starting today. I mean, what can the receivers do if golf is having a bad year? Well, we're going to assume that golf does take off. So who's coming with him? Okay. You got so to have a co-pilot. If golf takes off, um, I think that it won't necessarily be. And this is this is no in no way whatsoever meant to be a cop out or a politically correct answer. I don't think that there that there'll be necessarily a player individually that comes with them. I think it'll be more of a group thing. And I'm saying this due to the type of offense that Sean McVay runs. You know, you know, you're going to see a lot of twelve personnel. You know that um, you know he's going to keep the tight ends involved, but then you also know he likes to get the ball deep. Uh, periodically, he's going to take five, four, five, six shots a game, 20 yards downfield. He's going to let it rip at least six times a game, or probably around six times a game, you know. Um, but, you know, he really, really makes his bread and butter. He loves to move the chains on the intermediate part of the field. That's why you saw a lot of passes going to Pierre Garcon, and you saw Vernon Davis catching a lot of passes in the intermediate part, and Jordan Reed. You, uh, you even saw Deshaun Jackson, who was truly the, the primary deep threat, and that was his his number one task. But you even saw him getting uh, really involved in it more than he ever has in his career. Deshaun Jackson, while he's always been a very underrated route runner because the focus has always been so much on him just running deep routes, uh, I think that it's, it's kind of been overlooked what he can do on the more on the more intermediate and under, in underneath routes. Uh, he got to show that a lot more under McVay. And um, I think that's kind of what, you, what we should expect to see, the ball getting spread around to a bunch of players. So you're going to see Tavon Austin, I personally think, uh, Tavon Austin is going to have his best year. Now, does that mean he's going to go out there and have 1,100 1, yards receiving? Absolutely not. I think Tavon Austin is probably going to finish the year with something around 850 yards receiving, though. Uh, somewhere at 800 to 850 yards receiving, I think he's going to be in that range as long as he plays a full 16 games. Um, then you look at Robert Woods. I think Robert Woods is probably going to be about a 700-yard receiver, uh, 650 to 700. Um, but the, the, the interesting part of this team it's probably going to come from the backfield. We know the tight ends are going to be involved because that's that's McVay's love, his passion, his bread and butter. You know, but the tight ends are young. Um, if there's a tight end that's going to break out, it's going to be Tyler Higby. You know, uh, I just don't think that I don't think that um, Gerald Everett is going to come in and just light the world on fire. I don't believe that. I think he's probably going to finish his rookie year with you know somewhere between three to four hundred yards receiving maybe a touchdown or two. I don't really see him taking off like taking off the way that uh, I think a lot of people are hoping he will. Um, but again, I'm, I'm a little biased still because I'm still, I still think about the pick every day. <laughs> I still look at it and say, man, you know, if you wanted a Jordan Reed type guy, you could have just sat back and took John New Smith or something like that from Florida international, who really is a better receiver than Gerald Everett, same size, same build, better athlete, 
but you know flew more under the radar which is weird but anyway <laughs> you know um but I, that, that that's just kind of you know how i look at it. i think that gerald Everett is going to take some more time i think tameric hemingway is going to be more involved than people think but tyler Haby is probably going to be the tight end that really steps forward from that group and you know he could be a guy that finished the season with uh, you know five to six hundred yards receiving something like that um, but the the real spark of the offense, I think, is going to come from the backfield. You know, catching passes out of the backfield um, with a Lance Dunbar or you know whoever wins that other pass receiving uh, role out of the backfield after Dunbar, whether it be Aaron Green or uh, I don't think it'll be Mar- Malcolm Brown. I think he's going to be, uh, you know, he's going to be one of those guys that's really fighting for the last spot. Uh, on that, on the running back room, uh, it could be a Justin Davis that makes the team. And, you know, they signed two undrafted rookies who I've been watching film. She's learning more about that. I didn't really watch during scouting. So um, I'll be covering those guys pretty soon. But, they're, they're, you know, they got some good pa- they got some good pass catchers back there that they added this offseason. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see how it all comes together. But I think it'll be more of a group effort than one or two players just kind of standing out. And that's ultimately what I think one of the fans wanted to know is, you know, you talk about those tight ends. You would expect, of course, that Everett's going to have a learning curve like Tyler Higby did in his first year. I, you know, we've had numerous people on this podcast talking about how freshman tight ends don't typically have bust out seasons. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, and, and, and I think though, that what the Everett pick does give them is the 12 personnel. And we got a question from who is whip going, can you discuss the possibility as a, of two tight end sets opening up the run game, Higby and Everett specifically, how do you feel because this kind of plays into that pass catching aspect out of the back out of the uh, backfield. Yeah. Um, you use that twelve personnel to fake pass, and maybe you get them with the quick screen. Maybe you get them with the inside zone. You know, just a quick hitter or something, and 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 they're looking pass, and and you're able to get up into the backfield before they know it. Because it's not like the Rams have slow, slow running backs. You know, Todd Gurley can move. Uh, Lance Dunbar can move. I know Justin Davis can move. I I legit think he is going to make the team just because I think as a complete project, he offers more than I think some of the guys they've signed. But the question is, can he beat out some of these undrafted? undrafted free agents from small schools that you and I've never heard about that you're just barely doing film on because, you know, guys from these types of schools make a living getting, getting that, that, that third running back role. And it starts there. You know what I'm saying? That's where it all happens. So let's, let's get to Let's get to Whip's question. Uh, what do you think about the twelve personnel opening up the run game? Um, oh, sorry, I'm specifically Higby and Everett. I'm not crazy about the uh, entire idea of using twelve personnel to open up the run game. Um, the reason being is when you're in twelve personnel, 
the defense is usually going to be in their base, which usually calls for more linebackers, which usually calls for more people being in the box. Um, so you're ultimately you're, you're stacking the box for the defense pretty much. Um, and when you have two young tight ends who haven't really established themselves as threats on the field in that 12 personnel, you know, if you have, let's say, for example, if you have, the Redskins offense, you know, if you have Vernon Davis and Jordan Reed and you're a 12 personnel, while the defense could very well be in their base and they could have more people in the box, they're probably focused on those two tight ends because they have a reputation. And so they actually are afraid of what they could do. You know, so the the, the guys that's in the box, they're not really focused on the running backs for stopping the run. They're more so focused on these two tight ends, we got to keep our eyes on them because of what they could do, especially if we let them get loose down the seams. But then you have these two young guys who don't really have a reputation. They're not, they haven't, they haven't, you know, they're not feared. They're, they're not, uh, you know, respected to that level. So when you put those guys in the box and they see Todd Gurley back there, they're thinking, man, I'm down here in this box off the snap. I'm going after him, you know, like they're, they're going to go get him. You know, so you're essentially you're working against the run in this particular situation. All righty. Well, Joe Marciano wants to know with Reynolds lined up almost exclusively on the right side A and M, will that hinder his playing time? I could give you the stats on it if, <laughs> instead, actually, if that would uh if that would be better. Um so so with with Everett, um when when watching film on him, you know, I was really intrigued because he was actually talked about quite a bit last year. Um, he received a really good amount of hype uh, kind of towards the tail end of the scouting season. You know, so um, while I didn't really get the chance to watch him a lot last year, I think I watched like two games of his last year. Um, didn't really take as many notes on him because – he wasn't coming out, but he was someone that you, you know, when you're kind of getting a jump on things, uh, you want to kind of make a note of it, you know. So even though it's a year in advance, you still make notes on certain players, you know, for net for the upcoming year. And that's kind of what happened with Gerald Everett, although I wasn't really too keyed in on him like I was some other players. Um However, I was I did watch enough to kind of be prepared for him this year. But in those two games I watched, um, you know, I saw three drops between the two games, just those two, which is way too much uh, in my book, especially when you look at a guy who only caught about 85 passes, you know, in his college career, somewhere around there. You know, so it was so it's not like he had a lot of opportunity. Um, he actually had a drop rate of about 12 percent. Um, and I'm digging through my notes here to, to, to verify that number is uh, the correct number, but he had a drop rate of about 12%. Um, that's pretty high. <laughs> that's, that's not something that you really, uh, you, you want to look forward to. That's not something you want to hear. Um, when you're talking about a guy that you just drafted in the second round, that's part of the reason why I say that he's a major project um, because he has to learn to catch the ball more consistently um, is it possible to catch the ball more consistently? Yeah, guys improve their catching all the time. Um, just because you are someone who struggled to hold on to the ball earlier on doesn't mean that that's the way that it is 
all the time. You know, you can indeed get better at holding on to the ball. The problem is Gerald, Gerald Everett is more than just dropping the ball with him. Um, he's He loses focus almost. You know, he doesn't track the ball as well. I think I mentioned this last week when I said that the uh, pick is uh, eerily similar to the Brian uh, Quick pick. But I would actually give Brian Quick the nod as far as having the better ball skills. I thought Brian Quick was a much better at tracking the ball in there. Now, I know I'm comparing a receiver to a tight end, but this is a tight end who's going to play a lot, you know, uh, lined up in a slot and out wide. You know, he's not a true inline tight end. So it's, it's, it's pretty fair to make the comparison of him being uh, – of him up against um, – of him up against uh, Brian uh, Brian Quick, especially with the type of pick that it was coming from the smaller school of things. Um, overall, when I look at Gerald Everett, between the drop balls, um, the very raw um, raw skill, he's he, you know he's not very polished as far as being a guy with um, a lot of experience playing against good competition. You know, running uh, pro routes and um, being in a pro scheme and understanding defensive concepts, you know, there's a lot of things that stacked up against him. And that's why I am nervous about it because he already has an issue with drops. When you add all that stuff onto the plate, it can actually increase the drops because now you're thinking too much, you know, so your drop rate actually will go up. But tw- having, having a drop rate over 12% is entirely, entirely too high. Um, that That's really actually terrifying <laughs> you know that that would qualify as you someone who can't catch certainly you expect your receivers to be able to hang on to the ball and you don't want situations like last year with lance kendricks uh yes. keeping <laughs> in line for mr marciardi what he wanted to talk about mr reynolds the josh reynolds the wide receiver drafted from a&m uh, Marciano points out that he almost exclusively lined up on the right side at AM. Do you think that's going to hinder his playing time? And who is this? Josh Reynolds, Texas Josh A&M. Reynolds? Yeah. Uh, no, I don't. Um, yes, he did line up on the right side a lot. Um, it's something that if you watch two seconds of his tape, you'll notice immediately. It, it stands out uh, pretty good that he's he's lined up over there probably more than what you want. Uh, however, I don't think that it would hinder his playing time. Um, the only thing that I think would hinder his playing time is himself. <laughs> uh, if he is if he is uh, going out there in practice, he's making plays, uh, which I personally think he's going to have a decent camp. I think he's going to have a pretty decent camp. And part of the reason I feel he's going to have a good camp, um, and I'm going to be very clear on this, uh, I don't necessarily think that means that he's going to have a good year. But I think he's going to have a good enough camp to earn some legit playing time. And part of the reason I feel that way is because when I look at the Rams secondary, I think that when when you when you put him out there and when he goes up against the second unit or less, I think he's going to eat them alive. Uh, the Rams don't have a lot of depth. Uh, that's just the simple fact of the matter. Um, and they didn't really do anything to add to that depth in the offseason. So. If he's not going up against a Tremaine Johnson or even an EJ Gaines, or you know, if if you if you're not having a, um, a Maurice Alexander coming over the top in safety coverage, you know, he's probably going to eat these younger guys up. 
because that's what he did to the to the the corners in that in the SEC. Guys his age without the experience, there's a good chance that he's probably gonna have a very good camp. Now the reason I say that doesn't necessarily mean he'll have a good year is because in the season he's gonna go up against much, much better corners, uh, which will probably affect him and it's gonna take an adjustment period. But I do think Josh Reynolds will see a good amount of time on the field. I think he's going to earn some good clock with a, uh, with a pretty strong camp. All right. Now, a question that I've heard quite a bit, either in jest or seriously, but how long before Havenstein is back at right tackle? <laughs> um, as I have said, and I'm going to keep saying, I don't think that they make it you know, through camp with uh with um Greg Robinson <laughs> with Greg Robinson still manning the right tackle position <laughs> i think by the time you get to about the third preseason game you know where the starters play for an extended period of time i think in that third preseason game we're going to see Rob Hagenstein line up on the first snap at right tackle all right. All righty. That's, uh, that's, that's a pretty specific. Um, <laughs> all right. So, I mean, we, we've talked a little bit about this Jason Cole report, but do you think that the Rams need to be more concerned with winning rather than coddling a baby quarterback at the cost of winning games with two NFL teams in town? This is a question that comes from Lisa Schwartz. Okay, I'm going to answer this question, but really quick, I just wanted to point out uh, to Joe because he asked about the hands. and uh, So I found my note here. So last year for uh, Everett, he, uh, he dropped over 9% of his passes. The year before that, he had, or the year before that, he had a twelve percent drop rate. So I just wanted to make sure I cleared it up that twelve percent is not for his entire career. He did have a slight improvement, but nine percent is actually still very bad. <laughs> you never want to go above three, pretty much. You know, three is about the average for a receiver. If you go above three, you've got problems. Once you get above five, your hands suck. So let's clarify that. Um, so yeah, he he had a nine point three drop rate his last season, and twelve or uh, uh, over twelve the year before. Um, and now back to the question of Lisa. Could you say it for me one more time, please? Yeah, she said, "Is it more important?" Well, I'm I'm kind of rephrasing for her. Is it more important for the Rams to win ball games, i.e., potentially switching Goff? Uh, out for Sean Mannion, uh, rather than coddling a, a baby qu- uh, quarterback at the cost of winning games now with two NFL teams in town. It's no longer a one-horse race in Los Angeles. Those dollars can go one of two ways, and I got to tell you, if I'm a San Diego Charger, or if I were a LA Chargers uh, uh, a temporary fan trying to decide which LA team was going to be my team. The prospect of what the Chargers have is much more appealing to me right now than the prospect of what the Rams have. So let me. The best way to describe this is impatience, um, because the Rams really have no reason to rush it. 
you know, it's well known that they're rebuilding this team, you know, in the image of the new coaching staff. That's what happens when you get a new coaching staff. You know, there's no Harry. Furthermore, it's not like the Chargers are really um, dominating the NFL right now. And besides, that's kind of a short-term, short-sighted view on things. Uh, you're looking at it in the perspective of right now as opposed to longevity. Um, if you want to be the team that owns the town, it's not a one-year thing. It's over the course of time, you you just kind of establish yourself as the town's team. You know, So if you want to run L.A., it's got to be more than just this year. You know, it's got to be the next year, the next year, the next year. Um, if that means that you can't, if you, that means that you can't win a lot of games in your first year, but you can, but it will set you up to build, to continue to build and you'll get the guy that you want the experience to get better and be the quarterback you want and let him grow so that in the future, you know, in the next year, the year after that, and the year after that, you're suddenly winning 9, 10, 11, 11, 11, 11 games. You know, you get better and better, and then you draw that, you get that consistency. That is how you become the town the, the town team. You know, that's how you become the talk of the town. That's how you win the fans over. But um, looking at it from just a one-year standpoint, um, that's never a good thing, especially when you look at the big picture of things. Um, I don't necessarily think it's coddling. I think that you have to uh, – you know, now I, let me be clear on this. I don't think Jared Goff should even play last year. And I was very adamant on that before the season even started. I never thought he should have took a single snap last year. But, however, I'm not a huge fan of letting your uh, first. Can round I say picks. I agree? I thought he should have sat and learned at yeah, least yeah, one absolutely. year under under Case Keenum. Case Keenum may not be able to light it on fire. But he understood that offense, and you know he what? He understood it, and you know what? Above all else. The guys bought into him. He, he was could, able he to could, lead the players. Yeah, he could manage a game. You know, he was able to lead the players. Um, so I definitely would say that um, it's not necessarily coddling, but you do you, – but you also don't want to um, let, a, let a guy just sit uh, for too long, you know, especially if he's your number one overall quarterback. You know, I'm okay with him learning for a year – getting you know learning the ropes but then that next year is probably time to throw them in there um so this would this would probably be the year that he would have to get thrown in anywhere you know if he had set out all of last year so i don't think it's coddling at all i think you give him the chance to grow he's gotten the chance to grow um but then you know it's time to start grooming him he's you only have four years now there's a fifth year option but there's only four legit guaranteed years in a rookie's a first round picks contract. You know, if you let him sit for two whole years, you just wasted away half of the contract. And remind you, he's the number one overall pick. They paid him twenty seven million dollars. <laughs> you know, that's that's thirteen and a half million dollars that you just wasted away for no reason, you know, because you're, you're scared. If you're scared, you don't draft them. It's just that simple. If you're scared to play them after two, after, uh, after a whole year, then you shouldn't have drafted this kid. Um, you have to play them. You know, I don't think it's coddling at all. That is fair enough. I kind of agree. Um, I, I, I think if you spend that kind of capital, you got to play them at some point, but I'm in the same boat as you. I feel like the Rams should have waited uh, and 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 
then looked towards starting Goff this year, I think it was the slide after the start that concerned the team and caused them to make a switch, thinking that maybe the injection would, uh, I don't know, help help the team get going in the right direction. But it seemed to have the the it, reverse effect. And um, I think anyone with a brain could have told you it was going to. Jared Goff was, was never ready last year at any point. He never should have been starting. And, and, no, absolutely and, not. And, 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 and you know what? Now we have to talk about a guy who had a historically bad NFL, you know, start. And the fact that only two two other quarterbacks have ever come back from a start like this, like, there's no reason that we should be talking about this. Like, there's no reason he should have been put in that position. None. No. Like, you wasted all that capital on him, and then you put him so far behind the eight ball that now this kid has has basically impossibility staring at him. He's going to have to overcome what is statistically proven to be very impossible for a lot of quarterbacks. Yeah, I mean, it's not a lot of guys, you know, and again, I'm going to touch on all of this as, like I said, uh, kind of looking at the upcoming season and the players under the, in this system how they might do is something I've been, you know, really prepping for a a series that I'm going to be writing here, but there's not a lot of guys that have bounced back from the type of first season that Jared Goff had, you know, there's been a lot of guys to go out there and bomb like he did. Um, One like thing that I said uh, last year, before he was even drafted, I said this in a scouting report, is that when you look at Jerry Goff, he has to sit. You know, there's no if, ands, or buts about it. He has to sit for a year. You know, I thought his potential was very good. You know, I was one of the people that was looking at him, and I, too, compared him to Matt Ryan. But, and there was a lot of things about his game that I really liked, you know, and the way I kind of painted the picture was that, you be he can kind of quietly take over a game, you know, and before you know it, you know, he's 30 or 40 passing, <laughs> you know, for 350 yards, you know, like it just, it happened in a blink of an eye. You won't even realize it. You know, the problem was he just wasn't ready because he, he was coming from that, that system, that damn air raid system that I personally hate. Yeah, it's all exciting and stuff to see teams throw the ball and light up the scoreboard and stuff like that. But I hate it because you do the kids absolutely no justice as far as preparation. Like, they, you do them no justice whatsoever. They don't know anything when they leave that offense and move on to the next level. You know, so you have that system. And then you had the, the issue that of pre-snap reads. That was something that I really hated watching on film. He, it just wasn't there for him. And, you know, I even said he's going to get pummeled early and often in his career. Um, and I also thought that, you know, you have to throw in the fact he has to learn the playbook, obviously, and how to call the play since he hadn't called a play in the huddle since he was about 13. Um, there were so many things that was just kind of stacked up. I thought it was absolutely the best case scenario is for him to enter the league and fit for a year, you know. And in doing so, I thought by sitting back and learning – 
for a year where you can, you can really destroy quarterback's confidence by throwing him out there and letting him take a beating. You know, just look at De- David Carr, for example. Yeah, unnecessarily. You know, David, yeah. <laughs> David Carr was unbelievably talented with one of the best arms I had seen in a long time. Um, I'm just a quick example. I watched De- uh, David Carr on NFL Network throwing fastballs against Patrick Mahomes and he can still sling it almost as fast as Patrick Mahomes, who had one of the best uh, velocities in the draft this year. <laughs> you know, so that that should tell you like Derek Carr, Derek, uh, David Carr's strength, arm strength is very impressive. You know, he can make all the throws, but you throw him out there and you let him get killed, <laughs> absolutely killed. You know, for his, his rookie year was the worst. I mean, it was real. I think he set the NFL record for most sacks taken. And then after that, it just didn't get any better. And you actually killed his confidence. You killed the player. He wasn't the same. He started hearing footsteps. He just was never the same player. You can do that by throwing kids in there too early. And that's why I felt that Jared Goff should sit because he wasn't ready. And it was just too much. I never expected him to um, to really take off. In fact, I, my exact words in the scout report is that he'll likely, you know, if, if you throw him out there because he hesitates to throw the ball unless the person is wide open that he'll likely have a uh, ridiculously low yards per attempt average, which was the case. Um, so he needed to sit. He needed to learn. Now that he has gotten – he did sit for half the season. Now he has gotten some reps under his belt. This was the time, always going to be the time, that I expected him to step in and really step up and really go out there and do some things. Now, since he did get them rep, those reps under his belt and everything that I expected to happen did happen – now you get to see what type of player Jared Goff is because since he took such a beating and he threw the interceptions and all the turnovers, you know, in only seven games, I think he had 10 turnovers, you know, uh, like the, it was like 10, 10 or 11 turnovers. I think he had three or four fumbles and uh, seven interceptions, you know, um, and that was in seven games, you know, seven starts. In that time, that's, that's just a bit too much. You know, you, you, you want to see some improvement at some point, but you really wasn't seeing the improvement. Now you get to say, okay, well, now he had those games under his belt. And all these things happened to him. He had the, the low yards per attempt. He had the interceptions. He had the fumbles. You know, he had bad completion percentage. He only completed or he only threw for 155 yards a game. He had all these things go wrong for him. You know, his accuracy ratings was terrible. All these things now he has film that he can go back and watch. Does he go back and watch it, figure out how to improve it, work on those things that he figured out, and they come out here as a completely different player? That is when you know you have a franchise quarterback. Now, the reports coming out of Rams camp is that he is indeed doing these things, and that they're, they're talking about how he is literally there on his off day every single off day. They say he's there Monday through Friday. No matter what, he's there Monday through Friday, and he's always working out. He's working with the young guys. He's working with the older guys. He's just there, always soaking it up, watching film. Um, I forget who it was, but someone was talking about they were getting treatment, and they're leaving the, you know, the building, and they say that it's like 9 o'clock, and Jerry Goff got there at like 6 in the morning, and it's like 9 o'clock, they're leaving, and he's still in there. They say he came in there, started watching film at 6 in the morning, and 9 o'clock in the evening, he's still in there watching film. That's what you want to hear. Now, of course, you always got to take a bit of grain of salt with things because 
that's their quarterback. They're always going to have his back. They're always going to hype him up and things like that. Guys do get over-talked and over-hyped, and it's not always as good as they make it seem. So you're hoping that it is indeed as good as they make it seem, because if it is, I really expect a huge season from Jared Goff, because then he's taking the necessary steps, learning from all those negatives, and figuring out how to turn them into positives. Yeah, I think that'll be the interesting thing here. You know, uh, um, as you've mentioned, the reports that he's spending the time uh, not just in the film room, but in 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 in, in OTAs and workouts and in meeting up with guys and just uh, ancillary throwing sessions, just just stuff that you do tr- in the vein of trying to get better. Um, it's got to make you feel positive that this is the direction uh, you want to see a franchise quarterback going. These are the reports that you want to hear coming out. These are the actions and steps that you want to see taken such that it will improve not just him, but the surrounding players on the team. Yeah, exactly. And I think that if he can do that, like he has to get the guys to buy into him. Um, That was, you know, you say what you want about Case Keenum and that's perfectly fine. Case Keenum was not a franchise quarterback, but one thing no one can deny, and I don't care who you is. He had those players completely buying into him. They ate him up. (laughs) You know, they really, really enjoyed Case Keenum playing quarterback for them. Um, and that's leadership. You know, uh, he didn't even have the tools. Was he ever going to develop and become a franchise quarterback? No, obviously not. But from the head up and just that warrior mentality, the preparation, they bought into him. The players bought into him. And more than anyone, more than the coaches, you have to get the players to buy and see you as, as, a, as a quarterback because those are the guys you're on the field with. Those are the guys who's going to go the extra mile for you. You know, once you get that, you are it makes your life a lot easier. Sure, because then they're willing to stay longer. They're willing to spend the extra time with you. Exactly. They're willing to to put in the work. They trust you. Yeah, exactly. And and, you know, it, it, it will be curious to see how golf does having had a full off season. I actually think that his play should improve significantly. I think also once they get all the guys guys signed and in there, um, and 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 everybody you know going through the playbook and and whatnot, that uh, the 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 Rams are going to have a much better offense taking the field this year than I think they have in years past. Um, if nothing else, because the guy that's calling the plays knows how to utilize the tools he has. Yeah. Um, shifting to the offensive side of the ball, uh, Joe, who is Grisanti 30, would like to know, do you think Dominic Easley can keep his starting defensive end spot? If so, how productive do you think he can be? Okay, so who's the thing about that? Um, very, very good question. Um, I look at it and I say he most likely will because there's really not any player on the roster better than him at the position. And then also you look at the scheme. Um, the Rams, by the way, just – I'm going to come back to this. The Rams, by the way, 
just sign a kid. And I'm, I'm going to talk about him at the end of the show because he's, again, he's another player that I didn't scout, but I don't know how the hell I didn't know about him or no one talked about him because he's very impressive. But he's a defensive man, <laughs> but he's probably going to play outside linebacker. But when you look at the system they're in, in the 3-4, they're, they're usually the guys that's playing defensive end usually are are uh, guys that will play defensive tackle in a four three, which easily did, which is what he was. Um, you, you know, you got a little more size because you're playing that five tech more. You know, so you're you're playing in between that guard and that uh, the the guard and the tackle more often. So you want a little more beef on the body. You want the guy to be a little bit bigger, a little bit stronger. So I think easily is the best fit for that position on the team. Maybe you could say Ethan Westbrook, but I'm not so that he can ever really develop into a starter. I think he is what he is, which is a good depth player, but that's it. So as far as Easley's production, though, where do you come down on that? Like what? As far as production, as a 16-game starter, as a 16-game starter as a production, I think that because he's such a good penetrator, um, I think that you you can expect to see a good amount of tackles for loss. I mean, he really, really penetrates really well. Uh, he could be a guy that can go out and get you, you know, 17, 18 tackles for loss. And it, it, it wouldn't look hard for him because he penetrates. He shoots the gaps so he's well. he's going to he, have he, Aaron Donald and Connor Barwin. Really exactly. And a healthy Robert Quinn, you know. So, mm-hmm. I, and, and, and I'm going to touch on this when I talk about this, this kid they signed. But the Rams are really, really focusing on their pass rush. If you've paid attention to their moves, the focus is get after the quarterback on defense. <laughs> so he's going to shoot the gap. He's going to he's going to be a, if he's a 16 game starter, no injuries or anything like that. You know, if he plays uh, 700 snaps, 800 snaps, he's probably going to get you about 18 tackles for loss. And he's probably going to get you somewhere in the neighborhood of seven or eight sacks which is really good production, you know? So um, I think he's very, I think he's more than capable of doing that. And I, I personally, I wouldn't be shocked to see him hit double digit sacks. I think he's good enough of a player. He's talented enough to do that because he's so versatile. So when the rims are in their base and he's in that five tech, you know, playing that gap in between the guard and the tackle, he's versatile enough to succeed there, but then he's also versatile enough to kick out and shade the, the shade the tackle. And then he's also good enough to go into the three tech. You know, he's big enough to play all those positions. He's fast enough to pl- play out a little wider. He's strong enough to go heads up. Like he's he's a versatile player. He's a he's a chess piece that you really um you can't really go wrong with. It all depends on his health and effort. Now effort is one thing because it's it's was only talked about, you know, in his rookie season in camp, you know, there was some harping going on saying that he didn't put enough effort in camp, which is actually pretty common for rookie players in camp. <laughs> you know, they think it's the same as college. They don't, they're not prepared mentally and they don't come in there and they don't put the same effort. They're not in shape all the time. That's pretty common. So it's not a scary considering fact. That's the only time you ever heard about it. The other part of it is the injuries. You know, he, he was able to stay healthy last year. He performed very well, healthy, um, which is why I say that I wouldn't be shocked to see him uh, if he were, if he was to have double digits uh, in the sack total because of how well he played in the limited reps that he got last year. Uh, I don't think that it's a stretch at all to say that he could very well um, be a double digit a double digit uh, sack player, um, especially if he's 
if he plays all 16 games, you know, uh, the, in the 250, 350, somewhere around there, I don't remember what it was, snaps that he had, he finished with three and a half sacks. If he plays 800 sacks, he could very well hit double digits. But I'm going to go with eight or nine, you know, let's say nine being the over-under. Um, he's looking out there and he can really, really produce as a 16-game starter, but he has to stay healthy. I don't think effort is going to be so much of a problem. Ah, yes, yes, yes. What we've got next, I think, is uh, it's a rather specific question. Um, So I'll let you ballpark it because I don't think there's any way to know this, but how many wide receivers, tight ends, running backs, and fullbacks are the Rams going to carry? Okay, I'm going to say six wide receivers, uh, four tight ends, and four running backs. Yeah, because they drafted a fullback, so one of those running backs is going to be a fullback. Will be a so you'll fullback. Have, you'll, yep. yep. So y'all have three. You'll have three running backs, a fullback, four tight ends. Uh, and obviously six wide for receivers. Depth. Yep. Yep. And because you're going to need some guys for for actual jumbo sets, guys that can get in there and do what Higgy yeah. and Everett. Can I definitely, do. I definitely think four tight ends is is yep. going to be as a pretty much guarantee on on the roster this if, year. If you want to run anything near the damn goal line, you're going to need at least two others because those yeah. guys aren't going to be moving bodies. Yeah, absolutely. Now, with that being said, considering the fullback position. It wouldn't be a complete shock if it was three tight ends, and you, you know, you use the uh, you use the 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 fullback kind of interchangeable because I do think yeah. that Sam Rogers will be the the fullback, and I do think he's going to play all over the roster, whether he's lining up in the backfield, playing a little bit of wing, you know, or uh, even lining up in the slot and kind of kick coming down and kicking guys inside, you know. So he's going to kind of be all over the field. He's definitely um, a versatile but, guy. It's not by accident yeah, that drafted. Yeah. Him. Yeah, absolutely not. You know, so uh, it it will be interesting watching uh, watching how they use them. But uh, if they, you know, considering that they can use the fullback in so many different ways, it wouldn't be a complete shocker to see three tight ends. But I just think Sean McVay loves the tight end too much. It's going to be four tight ends. You know, you're going to see four running backs, you know, three tailbacks and a fullback. And then, you know, there's going to be six receivers. Sounds good to me. I don't really see any reason to argue it. Um, all right. Uh, so that about does it for the listener questions. Now, I know you've been itching at the uh, at the Johnson to talk about a guy you've been scouting. So how about if I shut up, give you the floor for a second, and let you take the scouting train out for a spin? It'd be pretty funny, actually, if somebody heard it. <laughs> yeah, like... Yeah, no, I, it, uh, it, it definitely wasn't my finest moment. Uh, I, I wasn't trying to come up with a new catchphrase. I wasn't trying to make the new fetch. So uh, if, if people don't go around <laughs> saying itching at the Johnson, I, I won't be too offended. <laughs> Just for the record, everyone, my Johnson does not itch. <laughs> Let me clarify that now. <laughs> There's no itching going on here. There, um, there, there, there is no itching. This is a Johnson itch-free podcast. Yes, it is. <laughs> well, I don't know about Josh, but... Yeah. <laughs> hey, 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 it's all good over here, man. That's why I was saying it's a Johnson itch-free podcast. <laughs> I mean, now that we've sung to the new low of making sure people know that 
<laughs> we are itch free. <laughs> oh, so, oh God! I, I I thought this podcast couldn't hit a new low, but oh, we, but you we were tried, wrong. We tried to every week. You were so wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so back back to the regular scheduled programming. <laughs> so when looking at this Rams uh, defense, um, it's really stood out to me what they've been adding, um, which is pass rushers. When you look at the additions made on the defense, it's all about the trenches. They're looking to get after the quarterback. Um, That's just that simple. I don't think there's any way possible at all that the Rams aren't in the top four or maybe even five at the lowest of sacks in the NFL. They could very well be number one this year. And the reason I say that is, um, you know, as mentioned before, you know, you got Aaron Donald coming back, obviously. Uh, Connor Barwell should be a very good addition. Um, his greatest success in his career has always come in a 3-4 defense instead of a 4-3, where he can kind of stand up and do his thing. And then you have a very healthy Robert Quinn. Now, I am a, I am of the mindset that Robert Quinn has been too easily forgotten. It's kind of that out-of-sight, out-of-mind thing. Um being hurt a lot over the last two years really kind of made people throw in the towel on him. They're not talking about him anymore. He's not as popular, which really probably works in his favor as guys might look past him. They might forget who Robert Quinn is. Robert Quinn is now healthy and he is only 26 years old. I cannot understand enough. He's been in the league six years, but he's not your, your six year vet. That's 28, 29 years old, pushing 30 about to be on the wrong side of 30 He's in the he's in the middle of his he's in the middle of his prime right now. You know he's 26 years old. I really think Robert Quinn is going to have a very good bounce back season as a full as a full 16 game starter. Now things get a little more interesting after that. Um, the Rams obviously went out and got Samson Ibukum, um, who is a freak athlete. You know he tested better, not outside linebackers, which is what he's going to play. He tested better than a lot of cornerbacks. Um, if I remember correctly, it was like 75% of the cornerbacks. He tested better than it was like 75, 80%, something like that. Like he blew the cornerbacks out of the water and he's 6'2, 240. Okay. Um, so he's a freak athlete. However, I'm still not crazy about the pick because he's so raw. Um, but if he can ever live up to the potential, the potential of what if he you're could be. Have anybody that's going to get that potential out of him? Wade Phillips is your guy. I was going to say that Wade Phillips is the guy to do it. You know, the potential of what he could be is through the roof. And if, like, like you said, if there's anybody that can reach that potential, it's probably Wade Phillips. There's, there's very few defensive coordinators in the league that know how to really tap into what a guy has. You know, um, so you, you, you add an amazing speed rusher who can really, 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 really beat guys around the edge. Um, basically picture, you know, you see how fast Robert, a healthy Robert Quinn is around the edge. He's faster than Robert Quinn around the edge. You know, he's he's that quick. Um, and then you look at the, who I love, the addition of Juan Price, who is a true natural pass rusher. He, in my opinion, was the most natural pass rusher in the draft. Uh, size and injuries is what caused him to go in the seventh round. Truth be told, you know, considering there's nothing you could do about his size, he is what he is. His size probably, if he's healthy for four years in college, 
his size causes him to be a second round draft pick, not his tape. His tape would make him a second round draft pick if he's healthy all four years. Um, so you add one price. Um, and then after that, the Rams went out and added this kid who I never heard of named Tedrick Smith from division three, Mary Harden Baylor played defensive end there. Um, but when I tur- turned on the tape, oh my, I got so excited. I said that the Rams just find themselves a gem. Now, I'm going to be whipping up a report on this, and I'm going to really cover it in great detail. Um, but here's a few interesting facts about this kid. Uh, as he came in as a true freshman, started every game, and had nine and a half sacks. Uh, he, the next year, he had nine sacks. The next year, he had 18 sacks. <laughs> He started all all his games, all four years, and finished with 52 sacks. Now, that is insane production. I don't care what level you're playing at. 52 sacks is a lot, okay? Uh, that, that's an average of 13 sacks a year. Um, he really, really gets after the quarterback. But And, and I'm, when, I, when I write about this kid, I'm really going to make sure I include you know, some film on him. Because you have to kind of see it to really believe it. First off, he's built right, like he's a tank. Like, dude, he <laughs> he's he's built like a tank. This, he he looks like an NFL player. Let's just get that out of the uh, get that out there now. He is very he has a very good physique. You know, he's very well built. He's very well put together. He clearly took no days off in the gym. Um, but then you watch him on film, and you see that size and that strength translate to the football field. These weren't regular sacks. <laughs> I really genuinely felt bad for the quarterbacks. Um, when you watch movies, you know, football movies, and you see the way guys get hit, you know, you see hard hits in the NFL, but you watch movies and you see guys get absolutely lifted off their feet every single play. And as you're like, oh, that never happens like that. Not every single play. But this guy really does that every single play. <laughs> he just doesn't – it's like he doesn't know how to stop his feet. You know, upon contact, he runs through guys. But the most impressive part that I've seen so far, and I'm not done studying him because I'm really intrigued by him. And it's, it, 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 that's why I love scouting because there's so many guys to watch. There, it's impossible to see him all. So there's always someone to come across. You know, there's always someone that you find that's new that you never heard of that keeps the excitement. And that's kind of what this kid is doing right now for me. Um, when I first turned on the tape, the first thing I noticed was how polished his game was. Um, coming from Division Three, um, it's not often you see guys come from a very low level where they have a very polished game regardless of what the position is. But he actually has a very, very polished game. He does a great job with his hands. He has a repertoire of moves. He's not a one-trick pony. He's not, like I talk about his power, he's not just a bull rusher. His get-off is insane. He really gets off the snap. Like, he times his snap, he times the snaps, and he watches the ball, and he flies off. And um, that obviously it stands out that he's division three because you see some of the tackles he's going against and you're looking at these guys and you're like, okay, he's 6'2", 265, 270 pounds. This is, these are some of the tackles. There's some tackles that he played against that was legitimate, you know, 6'5", 315 pounds, but they were statues, you know, they didn't really move that well. You know, so the competition obviously plays a huge role, but you, regardless of the competition, I'm looking at more so 
the the what he's doing, the details of what he's doing. You know, you he he has a move after move after move where you see a rip move, and if it doesn't work, then you see him coming around with the swim, then you see him spin back in, <laughs> you see him turn his weight, speed to power and power to speed. It's very impressive watching him. Um, I think the Rams might have found a, a, a draft diamond. I can't write it in stone yet because I'm not done scouting him and camp hasn't started. I got to see him in pads, but he's, he's, he's got some legit ability and considering what the Rams are building on defense, a pass rush team, it makes perfect sense because his life will never be easier than playing on a team that consists of Connor Barwin, Aaron Donald, Michael Brocker right. sucking up double teams and a Robert especially Quinn. It makes his life easier. <laughs> especially if you already have that inclination, that proclivity to just kill the quarterback, as they say. Like Exactly. If, 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 if you can adapt this guy to the NFL game and be able to insert him on a defense that already includes talent like that, it is basically a death sentence for the quarterback. He's like, I'm going to get my ass kicked. I just don't know exactly doing it, you know? <laughs> Like, and that's I'm, exactly I'm, and that's exactly the point I'm making. You're basically I may, I may setting him free, game, but it's gonna hurt like a mother. You know what I'm saying? Like that's that's exactly that's the message that the Rams are gonna send. You're gonna come here. You may win a game, but you are going to leave having felt it. Exactly. Like there, there is gonna be get after the quarterback. And what I like the most about this kid, outside of the power and the speed and the repertoire of moves is when you have a young defensive end, no matter where he comes from, whether he's coming from Alabama or he's coming from Mary Harden Baylor, <laughs> you know, so often you see these young guys coming to the NFL and they're not that great at setting the edge against a run. He blows guys up when they pull, lead up on him or anything. He sets the edge extremely well. I'm very, very interested in seeing how he does in camp and pads against some of these guys. Especially over there, something else that plays in his favor, and I'm, I'm not trying to, you know, harp on him. But Greg Robinson, <laughs> it's not like he's going to go against, you know, the best tackle in the league. It's not like he has to face Andrew Whitworth because he's going to play on that on the on the on the left side of the, uh, excuse me, the the right side of the line. So it's not like he's going to uh, play against Andrew Whitworth a lot. You know, he probably takes some reps over there, but he's going to see a lot of Greg Robinson and. And uh, Andrew Donnell, when he lines up over there, Daryl Williams, that's the guys he's going to play against. So the the competition will let him shine a little bit more. I'm very interested in seeing what happens here. But so far, I'm very intrigued by him and the rest of the moves made. I think the Rams are focused on killing the quarterback. (laughs) That is going to be the key. Get after the quarterback at all costs every game. Well, that's exactly – I mean, look, dude – Peyton Manning couldn't have been more awful if he'd tried, man. I I mean, Peyton Manning actively, like, Peyton knows that he should have but one ring on his, like, he knows he didn't do a damn thing to earn that second one. (laughs) Like, in terms of, 
at least in terms of the Super Bowl. I'll, I'll, I'll stop it there. I'm not going to say a quarterback had no effect over the course of a season. But we're talking about a guy who was supplanted by Brock Osweiler, who's basically— I was just about to say, you might be able to say yeah. that about Peyton Manning this time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he was supplanted by Brock Osweiler, and Brock Osweiler is, like, wanted by nobody at this particular moment. Like, so you have to consider that fact that during his final year, he was replaced by a guy that nobody even wants as a backup. Like, just to hell with this man. <laughs> That's how bad Brock Osweiler's been deemed. Um, so, I, I, but you look at what that defense was able to do against the Carolina Panthers, which, I mean... It's not like the Panthers had a jack crap offensive line or a, a, a crap offense, man. That was a team that could move the football, and they certainly had a quarterback that's pretty sizable. And the way they were hitting Cam Newton in that game, man, he was human. And that's the thing about it, man, is 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 they were just so powerful. There was so much power that they were able to generate that they can make a a a six foot six, two hundred and fifty pound man look like just a six foot two, you know, two hundred and twenty pound quarterback. You know, it, it was it was just impressive at how they were able to throw him around. And that stems from what Wade Phillips philosophy is, which is, as you say, kill the quarterback, you know, for lack of a better term. Obviously, when we say that, we want everybody to come away from the game healthy. Yeah, yeah obviously. Uh, it, 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 it's just a euphemism here, in, in much in the same way that re they refer to football as war when it is in – no way, shape, or form even close to war. <laughs> in fact, in fact, football couldn't be further from war, real war, if it actually tried. But that's okay. Um, but uh, you know, it's 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 going to be interesting to see how the Rams are able. I do think this, and I talked to you about this off air. I think the Rams are going to lead the league in, in, in false starts. And that's because you got Jared Goff, who is somewhat challenged in, in, in his processing of the game so far, uh, learning one of the more complex offenses, at least in terms of terminology and verbiage. And, and you have a completely reworked offensive line. Like, I, I think those two factors combined, the Rams are going to be at least in the top five of false starts. I think it's just something people should settle in for. Um, you're going to experience, you should, should in theory, see a massive drop in the amounts of, of holds that occur that bring plays back. But it wouldn't surprise me to see, you know, uh, stupid mistakes like an illegal lineman downfield or, just, you know, an illegal block or illegal hands to the face or, or something. I, I, I think you'll see some mistakes along the line, uh, and that'll be where all the problems start for the Rams. But the overall quality of the line, I think, is, is what's going to improve. So... You know, they may make a mistake here and there, but they're also going to hit you in the mouth and open up a hole for 20 or 30 uh, once a game, at least for somebody.
you know, if if look, if if Gurley continues to suffer and 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 doesn't get going in this offense, I don't for one second think that the Rams are going to continue to worry about Todd Gurley. I mean, this is a league that doesn't give a damn about running backs. If you're a quarterback, they'll invest in you. If you're a running back, see ya. I mean, yeah, pretty much. (laughs) It's a throwing league, you know? Your quarterback is the man. Times have changed. It's not so much a focus of if you have the best back, you're probably going to go to the Super Bowl. It's now if you got the best quarterback, the odds are in your favor, you know? So it's a throwing league. Yep, I completely agree. Um, but uh, I think that ought about do it for this podcast, man. Um, unless you got anything to add? No, no. I think we uh, we've touched on quite a bit here. Again, I'm gonna be whipping out the, a couple of things here. You know, kind of. <laughs> not the Itchy Johnson, <laughs> but uh, gonna be gonna be whipping out a couple of uh, some series going on. So there'll be multiple articles coming, you know, t- touching on certain players and just kind of expecting what ex- uh, what's expected, but then also touching on uh, what this defensive pass rush should look like. And I would just like to hear your guys' opinions. Uh, th- this is stuff that I translate into content, both for the site and for the podcast. Um if you guys have content that you want to hear, ideas that you want to have talked about, just let us know, and we'll we'll do our best to fit it in on air. As you can see right now, we've probably got about another 40 minutes that we could kill, but, you know, ha- not having a guest frees us up to, to, to go and do other things, which we're going to take advantage of, Bob, damn it. Um, so... E- I mean, there's ample opportunity for guys uh, and and gals as well as Lisa Evidence uh, to submit their opinion, thoughts, and questions, and we'll get them here on air. Um, as always, please follow the site on Twitter at Turf Show Times. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Fight on Twist. Our producer Scotty is on Twitter at Sports Speaks, and Mycin can be found on Twitter at Mighty or Mycin, spelled M-I-S-O-N-E. With that in mind, we will be back next time here on an all-new Turf Show Times Radio. And uh, as always, man, happy ramming. <laughs> My name is Spencer Hall. My name is Jason Kirk. My name is Ryan Nanny. And when we combine, we form the, the Shutdown, Shutdown Fullcast. I keep telling you, we're not Voltron. The Shutdown Fullcast is technically a college football podcast, but it's also a show about lawn care disasters, regional grocery stores we love, Tennessee Batman, homeowners associations, Bears and video games. I mean, there's also some actual football discussion, like about coaches having huge contracts or coaches making terrible decisions or coaches saying really stupid things. Or the NCAA saying really stupid things. Yeah, there's lots of stupid things in this big, dumb, beautiful sport. Sometimes we talk about football games. Allegedly. If you want to take college football exactly as seriously as it deserves to be taken, come find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts like this one. The Shutdown Podcast. It's not Voltron.